0: This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio, a podcast about the Cold War, its history, and the effects it had on our culture, technology, and the future of our world. My guest today is author-artist J. Edward Neal. Also known as Jeremy, he currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia, and spends his days painting, writing, and enjoying time with his son. I first became aware of Jeremy on Twitter where he posts images of his paintings almost daily. The dark style and color palette of his artwork are what first caught my attention and that's when we started to chat. I later found out that he is an author and his writing varies among several different genres including science fiction, horror, and philosophy. I think he's even written some high fantasy. In this interview we discuss Jeremy's influences, what inspires him, and what are some of his aspirations for the future. He shares some stories about his childhood that lend insight into his creative outlet and talks about the things that are truly important to him. The one thing we didn't discuss was the Cold War, and for that I have to apologize. Nevertheless, it's a fascinating discussion with a very talented, highly imaginative and creative individual, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining me, Jeremy, and welcome to Dead Hand Radio.
1: My pleasure, Andrew. Nice to meet you.
0: Yeah, pleasure to meet you too. Thanks for coming on. Um, so I first became aware of your work through Twitter, and I saw you know your your artwork obviously stands out because its uniqueness. The color schemes that you use are really quite striking, even though it's a it's a darker style, uh, which is attracted to a lot of people me included um but something about your artwork seems like so science fiction alien looking <laughs> to me it's what attracted me to your work
1: well thank you um i a big fan you said alien i'm a big geiger fan oh nice yeah that's kind of what got me started when i was a kid when i saw the aliens movies and i figured out hey there's this famous artist and, Man, I've emulated that guy forever. So maybe that explains some of the darkness.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there is definitely I could see a little bit of an influence in there from uh, it's it's H.R. Geiger, isn't it? The the artist you're talking about?
1: Yeah, G- yeah, that guy Geiger
0: Geiger. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but yeah, his artwork has been wildly influential. And I think he just recently passed away, didn't he? Uh, yeah, it was
1: in 2014. 2014-
0: Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't too long ago. We lost another giant in the, uh, in the artwork industry, um, recently too. Doggone it. I can't remember his name off the top, but he's the guy that did all the concept, uh, artwork for Blade Runner. Is it Sid Mead? Sid Mead. Yeah. He, he died last year. Um, like, uh, I think December of last year.
1: Just, I, I love those movies, and you know, that's like so cool, that art style for man. I did not know that.
0: So, yeah, his artwork uh, to me is just amazing. Uh, so you're a single dad? Are you still single?
1: I, I'm not single anymore. I'm in a long-distance relationship with a, a lovely lady from my hometown of Chicago. Cool. Um, coronavirus is making it pretty challenging, but (laughs) yeah,
0: I I don't laugh because it's funny. I laugh because it's so ironic, man, this coronavirus thing, it's just getting under everybody's skin now, I think.
1: Uh Uh-huh. It really is. You just need
0: to be done with it and move on.
1: I kind of like, I don't want things to go back to the way they were personally. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I know the feeling.
0: Yeah, I don't think we ever will go back to the way things are I mean, if you I, I just read an article today that uh over in Europe they have banned you know how they kiss the cheeks? Yeah. Yeah, so they banned that.
1: Banned it. Oh. Yeah. You going to get arrested for kissing someone. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You can't kiss people <laughs> on the cheeks anymore. Anyway. That was you know, instead of shaking hands, that's just how they'd greet each other in That's right. parts of Europe. Yeah. So, um, so tell me a little bit more about your origin story with, um, your artwork. Well, okay. First of all, did you start writing first or start painting first?
1: No, I was painting first, um, back as a teenager, when I first moved here to Georgia from Chicago, I, uh, I got really into heavy metal bands, Slayer, Morbid Angel, all those guys. And there was a bunch of local bands, Uh, that played the same kind of music and they needed like banners and artwork and cover art and stuff. So that's where I started, I started doing that. And I made t-shirts, airbrushing and uh, silk screening and all that. And uh, that kind of went dormant for a while. Um, I used to be married, during my marriage it was really sort of stifling for my creativity. So art went to sleep for a good 15 years. And resurrected a few years ago.
0: Good for you, man. good, good for you that uh, you were able to bring it you know re, reignite that flame.
1: Thanks, man. Now it's life. I'll never quit again.
0: So. That's great. Is it your livelihood too?
1: It is um, I support myself solely through books and art anymore. That's a very recent
0: that change. is fantastic. Congrats on that, by the way. Thanks, dude. Not a lot of people do. There's so many writers and artists on Twitter that I know who have a full-time job and do their passion work on the side. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So huge congrats to you that you're able to do it.
1: Yeah, kind of living the dream. But, you know, like you were telling me earlier how you like to support artists and writers and stuff like that through exposure. I feel like that's sort of my responsibility now to try to help people do the same.
0: Nice. Well, and it's always nice to pay it forward. You know, if you help somebody, you're just building up good karma for yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's it's, Plus it makes it easier to, uh, to socialize with people, you know?
1: I mean, we're all in this together, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And if you have the spirit of willing to help other people, instead of trying to take from other people, you're going to go a lot further in life, in my opinion.
1: Agreed. Dude, you're so right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, the, uh, the artwork went on hiatus for about 15 years. You started a family.
1: Yeah, I have, well, I have one son. He's, uh, he just turned nine the other day. Awesome. Very cool. Before he came along though, you know, life is challenging. And uh, I, I was writing a lot then, you know, I did the typical angsty writer story. <clears throat> that was me for a good, you know, 12, 15 years, you know.
0: Well, I see that uh, I, I can't believe how much, how prolific you are with your, not only your paintings, but also your books. How many books do you have?
1: Oh, God. Um, I think it's 44.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> how How old are you?
1: I'm 44, also.
0: <laughs> oh, well, a book a year. You started yeah. when you <laughs> were zero. <laughs> you started writing year one. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: Came out of the womb with a pen in my hand. Oh, that's um, cool, man. A lot of the, you know. Okay, I say 44. A lot of the books are shorter philosophy titles, like coffee books, coffee table books, and stuff. Okay, so, cool. You know, not everything is a full length novel. I don't want to give that impression.
0: Uh, no, no, I understand. <laughs> yeah Yeah. uh have have you worked with the same publisher the whole time or have you had uh you know changed publishers different publishers for different genres type of thing
1: so you know in the beginning i tried to go traditional um and and i got pretty disillusioned with that process really quickly yeah you know i was kind of like why am i letting other people have any say in my success and what i'm doing so I eventually just said, the heck with it, I'm gonna self publish. And, you know, I realize there's a stigma about self published authors, and, you know, some people carry a, a prejudgment about that, but to hell with them, I say.
0: <laughs> I, I agree, because in my opinion, that would be a wild misconception. There are so many talented writers out there that prefer to go the direction of self publishing just simply because they retain all the control. Of their works and uh, obviously if you go with a reputable publishing house and they do the work for you it's going to help you reach a broader audience but if you have the commitment and the focus to be able to self-promote and get your work out there and if there's a couple of venues that uh, are really helpful to independent uh, writers. Yeah. Um, are, are you connected with any of those?
1: Um, no.
0: <laughs> so You do you do it all on your own, huh?
1: Flying solo, man. Um, oh, wow. I, uh, my motto is that I'm just going to try to outwork everybody else. Not that I'm in competition <laughs> or anything, but like,
0: Oh, you're in competition with yourself. I'm, I'm yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, to anybody out there who gets frustrated, who doesn't, see any return on their first several books, you know, I would say just keep plugging away, keep getting better. It was 11 years before I was able to pay a single bill using my uh, author royalties.
0: Oh, that's good advice, man.
1: Just got to keep plugging away. Don't quit. It's hard. I know,
0: but stick to it. What, um, every creative person goes through a, a you know, multiple periods of challenge where uh, maybe you feel like that's, it's not worth it, or I don't know if anybody's even interested in what I'm doing. You know, right. in the early stages, talking about for new creative people or somebody who's been in the game for a couple of years and they're still just not seeing a return on their investment. Yeah. How do you how do you overcome that type of uh, um, that type of uncertainty?
1: Well, that's a, that's a multifarious question. Um, (laughs) I personally, I I don't allow myself to get too down. You know, if I, if I paint something and it stinks and it doesn't get any interest, that's fine. I'll move on to the next thing. If I write a book and it flops and believe me, when you've written 44, you write flops (laughs) (laughs) that nobody cares about. And you're like, man, you know, I just spent a year of my life pumping all of my energy into it and nobody cares. Um, I get over it pretty quickly. And I, I know a lot of people don't do that. They get pretty emotional about it. And I completely understand that. Um, but it's not a feeling with which I allow myself to linger.
0: Good. Good. Yeah. So so you, you you are human. You do have those feelings, but you just don't wallow in it.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Punch it in the face.
0: <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, because a lot of people think that, those, those artists and those writers that persevere, they never experience those challenges. They never have to overcome those hardships. But that's what separates the people that just want to do it as a hobby and the people that are doing it and making a living at it.
1: Failure is going to happen, and it's going to happen a lot, and it's okay.
0: Good. Say that again because it was kind of broken up.
1: I was going to say failure happens a lot. And it's
0: okay, you know. That's and good that's- advice. That's something that it, it, I didn't even learn that until later on in my years. I have three daughters; they're grown. Oh, and, good for you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> they're awesome people, and we have a, a little grandson now. And so, the one thing that I'm really trying to l- help him understand—he's only three but I'm still trying to help him understand that failure is only a stepping stone towards success. So don't be afraid to fail.
1: Absolutely dude. And Craig, congratulations on the grandson,
0: by the way. Thank you. He's awesome, man. He's, he's a blast to have around. I bet. Yeah. Uh, So how did you, okay. So you were, your artwork was on a hiatus and you started writing what is your favorite work or what is your book favorite book that you've written?
1: Ooh, um, I'm going to, there's two, there's two. Um, last February, I started a book called the fall of castle Carrick.
0: Oh, Okay. I've seen that one.
1: Yeah. And it's been a pretty polarizing book actually, because a lot of people that they, they don't like the, the broodingness of it or the, the fact the main character drinks a lot. Okay. Um, and I understand that, but it was a super big passion project for me. I had to get this book out. So the other one is actually, it's a, it's a very short title. It's a novella, only 40,000 words. It's called The Hecatomb. It's four short stories that are all interconnected. And I gotta say, I, I'm, I can't wait to read this book to my son when he's a little bit older because it's pretty scary stuff, but. Mm-hmm very pleased with how that one. And that one I actually wrote many, many, many years ago, but I still love it.
0: So if anybody wanted to start reading your work, um, they would, you would recommend they start with one of those two? Yeah, probably. Um, are either, um, the the castle, is it pronounced Carrick?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I did a little bit of research on Northern Ireland, Ireland, um, and kind of invented this castle. Um, a lot of the landmarks in the book are absolutely real, including some of the restaurants. The city of Blackwaterton. In case anyone's wondering, the main character is not me.
0: Well, we do have uh, several people from UK that listen to the podcast, so maybe maybe somebody would be interested in checking that out. The Hecatomb uh, is that part of a series or is that a standalone?
1: Um, it's standalone. I am writing, what I'm writing right now is the sequel to that, uh, a full-length novel.
0: Do you have a title for it yet?
1: Oh, God, it is The Catacombs of Man. Oh, cool. I got the the cover I just finished the other day. I finished the painting and did the cover, and I'm on chapter four.
0: I love your paintings, man, especially the stuff that you do with, um, well, some of the skulls that you've painted are awesome. Nice. Uh, yeah some of the stuff with uh the swirly um i don't i don't know what how you would describe it but uh you know i i'm not a word crafter like you so what how would you describe your paintings
1: um okay i guess you would call it dark surrealism or it's not okay. quite real and suggestive of emotions and maybe has a little bit of an edge to it um I don't know if you know uh, Bekzynski, the famous Polish painter. Not a lot of people know about him, but uh, when we're done with this, I urge you to go Google him. He has just some amazing dark artwork. He's a huge influence along with Geiger, Geiger, whichever.
0: What, what is his name? Bekzynski?
1: Uh Bekzynski. Yeah. Just uh, that's all you have to type in is Bekzynski. And he actually died a few years back too. He was murdered. He's the man. Check him out.
0: I will definitely check him out because I, I am into that. Now, there's one you did called "Sepulcher of Night." That's a freaking cool painting, dude. But how do you get exposure for your paintings?
1: It was an accident, sort of. I all gung ho about just uh, doing books and getting, you know, published, and then you know, I started painting my own book covers. And uh I was like, hey, you know, I got all these originals on the wall, either be they what I consider failed paintings or whatever. So I just I went on Etsy of all places and I uploaded a few and they sold. I am shocked, man. I, I didn't have really any outlet for getting new fans or anything, and they went and then uh started going to Atlanta has a lot of tattoo parlors and what these tattoo parlors do is they have art shows. But you put art on the wall, and of course, tattoo people, they want people interested in artwork to come into their parlor, but they need a draw. So you do art for them, and they sell the art right off the wall, and uh, that's been huge. And then Dragon Con was really big for me. I, went, I got uh, invited to Dragon Con two years ago to their art show, and that was like uh, the beginning of the beginning. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. It seems like if a painting has been around on your wall too long you get tired of looking at it and decide to paint over it. How often yep. do you do that?
1: You saw that, huh? Yes. Um that's true with a, with a few exceptions uh everything is fair game. It sits on the wall and I decide one day that I don't like it and my let me tell you Andrew my kid hates it when I do this. Oh yeah. He gets literally upset with me. He's like, I can't believe you did that. I love that painting. And I'm like, that
0: painting was trash.
1: <laughs> and he's like, no. And he gets up in my face about it. So I have to do it when he's like asleep, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I have to move the paintings around the walls so he doesn't realize it.
0: Well, okay. uh, you can explain it to him this way, that every great artist that ever lived or every great painter that ever lived has done the same thing.
1: He doesn't care. I've told him that. I swear. Yeah, <laughs> I care at this point in development. Um...
0: I, I kind of get what you're saying when you know, for for a person who's not very artistically inclined, like myself, to see an artist. <laughs> I, I follow a lot of comic book artists on um, social media. Yeah. Some of them will do sketches in um, on YouTube. Like you know, they'll do live sketches on YouTube. And I'll be sitting there watching them, <laughs> and literally, dudes will spend half an hour, 45 minutes on a on an illustration, and then just delete it and start over. and I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> you just threw all that time out at the window because you so you're satisfied right. with the direction it was going. And' like, "This is beautiful. Why did you delete it?" Exactly. Yeah, but see, they yeah. see something it wasn't as satisfying for for them. So it, in their eyes, it wasn't worthy of keeping it. So they just delete it and move on. And oh yeah. Because for for me, I do digital design. You know, a lot of logos and stuff like that. But it's all it's all done with um, in vector graphics using Adobe Illustrator. Nice. But uh, I don't throw any of them away. <laughs> I don't even throw away my ugly sketches that I've done, man. I keep it all.
1: You ever you ever put them up on? Twitter
0: or anything? I, I don't think I've seen them. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to keep that stuff separate because that's what I do professionally. Okay. Um, my, my company uh, where I do web design and graphic design for clients, I kind of keep that stuff separate from my, my personal work.
1: Understood completely.
0: Yeah, but it, it's not a secret or anything like that. I um, I just don't think about sharing it with the, the, uh, the people that I'm connected with on um, with through my photography and that kind of stuff one day perhaps maybe maybe I should maybe I just should do that man but um so you do do you still do cover artwork and posters for bands things like that
1: I don't well okay I said I don't I don't do it specifically for that purpose however uh in the last six months I think I've sold four different paintings uh, cause the policy is if you buy the original, you can use the image for whatever you want. That, that's That's why a lot of people do. Um,
0: okay, cool. so let's let's um let's say that. I read that on your on your website, but I, I think it's important to to reiterate that and drive that point home. So if a writer buys one of your artwork, buys one of your pieces of art, the original, right? Right. And they want to use that as a cover for their book they have the full rights to use that as, as the cover for their book, correct?
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: That's an awesome policy, dude. I don't know of many artists that do that.
1: Just trying to keep it simple because you know, there's not the lay person just out there buying art or whatever. They don't know about exclusivity and licensing and all that. It's a real pain.
0: Right.
1: So just buy the paintings yours. Put on your album cover. cover.
0: That's beautiful because it's already done. The artwork's already done. If they want to tweak it, do, can they, can they tweak it digitally and then put it on their cover yeah. or, okay. Cool. That's an interesting policy. I really like that. Um, so, but at the same time you also retain rights to sell reprints of that image too, yeah. don't you?
1: Cool. Yeah. And you know, but then by the same token, I won't give anybody else rights. Like if you tell me, Hey, I'm going to use this for book cover right? Then I'm not going to try to, re-profit by selling it
0: to Do you do any commissions?
1: Never. I they don't pay uh-huh. for, and I don't like I don't like anybody to influence my work in any way.
0: That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of people make a pretty good living at commissions, but I think it takes a certain personality to be able to do that.
1: And you have to be. Uh you have to be willing to compromise.
0: Definitely. Yep.
1: I'm not very good at that.
0: <laughs> All right. So let me get back to your website because there's some questions that uh I saw I'm gonna look at your bio for a sec. Um so it says uh here that you write deep dark fiction, imaginative sci-fi. What sci science fiction books? Um, do you have in your in your inventory?
1: All right, I do have quite a few. Um, I did a series, a three book trilogy. Everybody's got to do a trilogy, right? Okay. Um, called the Eaters of the Light, and it's uh, it's, it's pretty beefy uh, series, you know, three hundred thousand words or whatever. Um, wait, wait,
0: hey, wait, wait! Did you say three hundred thousand?
1: Three hundred thousand, like across all three books
0: i know but still that would be like a hundred thousand words per book is that are these things like massive novels
1: no no i mean they're novels but hundred thousand is is industry standard version. oh is it okay yeah um basically a little boy sees the stars start to disappear and uh realizes he's sort of been bred all his life to go deal with it um and then he finds out there's there's elements of horror in it too once he gets to the end of the first book it's
0: like oh oh oh, damn i'm screwed here <laughs> okay well i guess it wouldn't be a, a j edward neal novel if it didn't have a, a touch of horror in it right
1: yeah got it's space vampires
0: <laughs> very cool um that's uh that's interesting how long ago did you write that the the eaters of the light series is what you called it
1: yeah, I think I published the last book in the series, which is Ears of the Light. Um, that was two years ago. So okay, cool. I fan uh, from 2015, 2018-ish.
0: All right, kid. Sounds like an interesting series.
1: It was a lot of fun to write that one. Now, people like shorter form sci-fi. Uh, if they had kids running around all the time, they don't have a lot of time to read. I did write uh, A Door Never Dreamed Of. Uh, which is a novella, sci-fi, very heavy on the sci-fi elements, much heavier than *Years of the Light. Uh, it's sort of a matrix meets, oh god, it's like a matrix the interstellar war kind of thing. I think sci-fi lovers will enjoy that one. There's gravity manipulation and time travel and wormholes.
0: Uh, and so it looks like that was written back in
1: 2015
0: yeah do you uh tend to go through phases do you start like like writing in the horror genre and then jump to the sci-fi and jump back and forth
1: man i'm all over the place dude yes um and actually it's probably holding my career back as a writer somewhat because I have like a scattering of books in each genre, but a lot of authors pick a genre and they stick to it and they get really known for that genre. Yeah. And I have failed my readers in that. And I'm sorry, guys.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they're forgiving.
1: <laughs> I hope so.
0: Do you, Have you had any, uh, any interest from filmmakers or screenwriters to option any of your stories?
1: Um, no, I don't think I have. Not legit.
0: Uh, so I'm gonna jump back in time okay. to where but, you first got your influence, and um, so you, you you say you grew up in Chicago. Uh, what era, like 80s, early 80s? Yeah. So I
1: guess that would have been early 80s, and in into. Briefly, the 90s.
0: And what uh, what was it like in Chicago at that time?
1: My childhood was very unusual, my friend. Uh, uh, my father, working on marriage two or three, I don't remember, moved down to Atlanta without me. I stayed up with my grandparents and only very occasionally visited the South. So I, I lived with my grandparents'. Uh, on this cornfield and there was nothing to do. And I had very few friends in this area. I was sort of just all alone. Um, But I absolutely loved it because it gave me all the time in the world to imagine worlds for myself. Um, So I would just leave my house at the crack of dawn, sometimes even earlier, and come back just before dark, having spent myself in the wilderness.
0: That that uh, sounds almost magical. Ha- have you ever written like a semi-autobiography? Like maybe in a fiction form?
1: Yes. Well, no, I, actually I wrote two, and let me preface this by saying I am in no way famous enough to have memoirs. However, I have written two memoirs um, which do in-depth discuss uh, that childhood and fragments thereof. Um, the caveat being that while I was writing these memoirs, I challenged myself while I was writing to drink heavily. (laughs) So, uh, they came out pretty unusual, but yeah.
0: So you, you lived with your grandparents, were they a positive influence in your life?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I, I've never met my biological mother. So I had my grandmother as a stand in and, uh, very influential to have grandmothers out there are the most sacred things in the world say that and uh my grandfather you know he would he was in the navy he was at pearl harbor when it got bombed oh wow so he had this man had stories and he would sit my butt down on the couch and uh tell me all kinds of great stuff and then you know he'd take me out for these long hikes in the wilderness that maybe i didn't quite appreciate as much as I should have as a kid, but now as an adult, I'm like, man, walking around in a prairie all day long, or going fishing on a lake where nobody else is all day. Good stuff, man.
0: That's cool. That's good. So fond memories, mostly sounds like. Absolutely. That's great. Did you have a favorite place that you like to visit?
1: Oh, (sighs) this sounds cheesy, but, uh, my grandparents' kitchen before everybody else was awake had a certain kind of light in the spring and in the autumn, and um I was just gonna sit out there and doodle and really do nothing, and that place for me more sacred than any other place
0: That's cool, man. That's not cheesy at all dude that's <laughs> that, that's nostalgic and almost a little bit romantic
1: it is gosh,
0: yeah. Don't worry about it, man. (laughs) I don't think people are going to begrudge you just for having a a little bit of nostalgia.
1: It was a good life. And I, I almost feel guilty because I hear a lot of people, you know, they have horror stories as kids, really tough times.
0: True. That's true. A lot of people do have some, some hard times, but uh, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, having, having a good upbringing and a solid foundation doesn't, doesn't mean you're, you're not capable of being a creative person.
1: It doesn't all have to be negative, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So personal influences, you already um, stated that Giger was one of your influences. Um, Anybody that you knew personally that had an influence on your creativity? eat
1: in, in a strange way yes um we used to play dungeons and dragons
0: oh cool me too
1: yeah any self-respecting nerd played dungeons and dragons when they were a kid right
0: <laughs> yeah for sure
1: <laughs> um and i had this group of guys three guys uh jeff chris and john and we uh i don't know if anybody plays dungeons and dragons like we played it. i don't know maybe they do but we would we play for two days Mm -hmm. with stopping only for Mountain Dew and pizza and maybe a few wings of sleep. And we got so deep into these stories that we made up and these adventures and we put the dice and the pencils and the sheets and the miniatures away. And it was like a 48 hour long conversation about a world that we wish we lived in. And I don't know if these guys know it. Um, but that was extremely influential to, to sit with my friends and I'm telling stories and they're telling stories. And it was just, it was huge.
0: That's cool. That's a good yeah. story, man. Are you still in contact with those guys? Um, yeah.
1: Well, now and then, yeah. you know, they've got their careers. And of course, coronavirus has knocked us all apart, but.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you, Lived in Chicago. How, how old were you when you moved to, uh, uh, Georgia?
1: Full time. I must've been 15 or 16, 17 ish. You know what? i drawing a little bit of a blank. Okay. Um, I know that I finished high school here living full time in the South. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, you know, that was really hard. That was a difficult transition going from this, paradise where everybody loves me and I have all this freedom down here to this unfamiliar jungle.
0: Mm-hmm. What um, was, if I, if I can ask, what was the catalyst for that?
1: Um, yeah, I have to ask my father. <laughs> uh, but I, I he, my dad got remarried. He came down here to get work. And once he got himself reestablished, he sort of just, you know, as a matter of course, summoned his child living in full time um and, and so there i went
0: uh, and besides the scenery and the people in your life what did that uh what did that change
1: immediately okay living where i live in the north we didn't live near any forests so immediately i moved down the south and i pretty, pretty much lived in a forest a house in the middle of a forest so all of a sudden, you know, instead of traipsing through snow strewn landscapes, you know, during the seven month long winter in the north, um, going through the stifling, hot, humid forests of northern Georgia. And it quickly changed my perspective. And then, you know, going to high school, uh, You know, I used to go to private school in the north, and then all of a sudden I'm in this public school filled with so many more people and all these different influences. And that's where I met my Dungeons and Dragons friends and uh, had some really good uh, friendships that I hadn't had when I was younger. So, you know, however hard it was to make that separation from the north, um, it did have a lot of value and influence on my creativity later in life, for sure.
0: And it probably made that bond between you and your friends even that much stronger.
1: Yeah. I mean, you were tight for a while there.
0: That's good. Uh, So when you graduated, did you go into college or did you go straight into career and get married?
1: I went to two different colleges. I went to a tech school where I got an English degree. That makes no sense, right? (laughs) I was supposed to be there for computer studies, but they turns out they had an English degree partner, so I got that. And then I had all my savings, which I threw towards about a year and a half in art school, um, Atlanta Art Institute, where I learned a whole bunch of techniques that I never use anymore. <laughs> but it was still valuable.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that art school is... You learned... More of what not to do than, what, you, than totally. what what to do when you get out and start a career in art. Uh, yeah. So, well, it sounds like you had aspirations to be a writer, maybe even if you didn't realize it. But it sounds like you had aspirations to be a writer earlier than um, than you actually started writing.
1: Yeah. You know how, have you ever known something in your heart before you knew it in your brain? Okay.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: It was kind of like that.
0: That's cool. Well, and to be honest with you, most people who uh, major in English uh, easily end up going into either political science or working as a teacher. So to be able to actually be making a living using the skills you learned in college, that's kind of a rare thing, man.
1: I'm going to call it luck.
0: (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) if you believe in luck. Now, I, I think luck may have a small part in the way things unfold but I think it's more determination and focus
1: my girlfriend
0: that's just my opinion
1: I live a charmed life she uh, she's always talking about my luck and how I really should just give some of it away to her specifically
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, all right so we talked about your influences and your upbringing what does the future hold for your artwork and your writing what would you like to see happen in your career
1: ah uh, well, I wanna get out of Georgia, man. Um, not because I don't like Georgia, but uh, I mentioned the aforementioned long distance relationship. I wanna take my art on the road a little bit. Um, it's paying the bills as more than the writing is at this stage, so I'm gonna focus on that. And, uh, and I really, at this point I wanna to try to help other people with it um, a lot of artists I see them especially on Twitter and Instagram um, I'd like to start building a platform for them you know help uh, me help them mm-hmm. use what I've learned and you know my successes and failures and get them some exposure get them some success like you said earlier it really is at this point starting to become a pay-forward it forward thing mm-hmm right by the community so i'm gonna try to do that and just keep painting man i got four wet canvases drying here beside me even as i talk to you
0: i saw a post that uh uh yeah i think you did this morning which uh she showed i think it was four or five new paintings and you said you've been up for 48 hours straight (laughs) is that true dude do you really work that much
1: um I try to go to sleep. I got maybe a few hours of winks in, but I went to bed at one 30 last night and I was up before dawn this morning, right back at work. Cause I, I I was sitting there lying in bed sleepless and I'm like, I had an idea. I gotta paint this sword and I gotta paint this boat and here's a new angle on a dark tree that I need to paint. And uh, so yeah, literally unless I'm occupied with my son or cooking or exercising or whatever, I, I'm always making a mess in my kitchen
0: now with paints. That's cool. But see, that's there's no luck in that, dude. That's just sheer focus and determination.
1: Let let's call it that, yes.
0: <laughs> I, I mean it's it's almost an obsession, but see, obsession oh. usually has a, a negative connotation to that. To me, that's that level of focus. And commitment to your artwork, man, that is I I've never really felt that kind of uh, other than towards my family, you know, it, protecting my family, spending time with my family. That's the only thing I've ever felt that level of of um I, I don't know, just focus. Yeah, that's well, freaking awesome, part. dude. Huh? You're, you're-
1: right man being focused on your family like that especially with three daughters congratulations
0: oh thank you yeah thank you (laughs) Uh, i appreciate that yeah they they were good kids you know they weren't they weren't too hard to raise they're you know they all have their own lives now and um they're interesting people in in their in their own right cool yeah i noticed that um there's uh there's another website that you're connected with
1: uh to Sarah Hill.
0: Okay, what is that all about?
1: So that actually preceded my my Down the Dark Path website. Um, I don't know, was it eight, seven, eight years ago? Um a group of I think there was five of us in the beginning. We had two comic book writers and artists, uh, we had a novelist, we had a painter, and you had me who was sort of involved in a little bit of everything. And we were like, "Hey, why don't we start a blog? Let's get the word out." And uh, so that was the Sarah Guild. So if people who go on there are probably like, "What the hell?" They'll see article about comic books, and then a random painting, and then a little memoir, you know, personal piece. It, it's it's a mess, but we've kept it alive because you know we love it, and uh, it gets a pretty good uh, reach. So alive indefinitely
0: that's great so it's just a collaboration with you and some people how did you connect with those people
1: two of them were in that aforementioned role-playing group in uh one of them amanda make a uh fantastic artist uh draws like uh birds really well and nature scenes uh she kind of spearheaded the web effort and put this all together for us and then we had uh comic book guys and uh, there's a gentleman who lives in san francisco he's a novelist uh probably a better writer than i am actually um he he contributes some pretty beefy pieces to that now and then it's good stuff
0: and, and do you guys have take turns on uh putting content out there for that particular website or does it matter just whoever wants to put something up
1: we used to have it where everybody got a day of the week and then the weekends were kind of a free-for-all. Now it's completely a free-for-all.
0: So is that is that um, true for anybody who might be interested in doing that for like a little bit of additional exposure?
1: Yeah, as long as it's vaguely art-related or comic creativity-related or if it's a, a cool personal piece um, about your life. Yeah, we love that stuff. And it's open, guest posts wide open.
0: Uh, all right, so I guess we're going to wrap it up. But before we do, I'm going to let you have an opportunity to let people know how they can get in touch with you okay. or where they can find more about your work.
1: Appreciate that, Andrew. Um, hey, everybody. J. Edward Neal. Um, I'm kind of all over the web. Find me at downthedarkpath.com. Books and art there. Uh, to Sarah Guild which is a a blog it's articles pretty much every day, sometimes multiple a day or just go to Google and type in shadow art finds and you'll find my art all over the place. Uh, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, Instagram,
0: LinkedIn, unfortunately,
1: Facebook, uh, find me, I'll find you and we'll collaborate.
0: Very cool. All right. Well then I guess that's it for this episode of dead hand radio. Appreciate you being here with me, Jeremy. It was a great pleasure to have you on the show and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: Thanks for the opportunity, Andrew. You have a great day.
0: All right then, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Dead Hand Radio is a podcast about the Cold War and its effects on our culture, technology, and the future. So join me and together we'll explore this fascinating period of history and examine the incredible advancements in weapons, technology, science and culture, and discuss how all of it relates to the future of our world. My goal is to explore these topics with the audience, to learn, to educate, to entertain and exchange ideas with those interested. If you or someone you know has knowledge about the Cold War, or any of the topics that we discuss on this program, please get in touch and let's talk. It could be a great conversation for a future episode, and I'm especially interested to talk with anyone who has first-hand knowledge about the Cold War. Likewise, if you have any questions or comments to help improve the show, drop me an email, hit me on Twitter, or leave me a voicemail that may be included in an upcoming episode. And one last thing before I sign off. Dead Hand Radio has partnered with a powerful group of podcasters to form a new podcasting network called SIP Network, or Slightly Irregular Podcast Network. SIP Network is a group of high-energy, positive-minded individuals providing a resource where listeners can get easy access to a wealth of entertainment, education, and positive input for your daily routine. Check out sipnet.us for more info and listen to all these great shows. Thanks for listening to Dead Hand Radio. This is Andrew Hall signing off.